What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Well, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about application. I am streaming to the Cogitations Facebook page. It's something that I don't think I've ever streamed to this page. I set this page up uh, quite a while ago because people were wanting to know how to get a hold of me. And I figured it was easy to make this Cogitations Facebook page. I didn't try to grow it or anything like that. But if you have a question, if you have a comment that you want addressed in a podcast, the easiest way to do that is to uh, put it on Facebook. Send me a private message through the Cogitations Facebook page. So if you are not following the Cogitations Facebook page, please go over there and follow that Facebook page. I am uh, going to re-up my live streams and such. Um, I've taken somewhat of a hiatus. I've only been producing two podcasts per uh, week for the last several weeks. And uh, we're going to re-up and, and start doing these podcasts I'm going, to try, I'm going to try to put out four podcasts a week if I can keep that level of involvement up and still uh, fulfill the obligations to my local work here in Canada. Now, that being said, the Cogitations podcast is something that I do. Uh, it's with stuff out of my own pocket, the sound equipment, stuff like that. If you want to support this podcast, you can go to buy me a coffee. You can do uh, Patreon and such like. and. Uh, Anyway, all of that good stuff is going to be in the show notes. Now, let's get into this and let's talk about application of Scripture. This is kind of a thought that was held over from the Bible class on Sunday morning, and it's from Nehemiah chapter 8. And everybody's familiar with verse 8 of Nehemiah 8, but let's start at the very beginning of the chapter, and let's kind of pull a thought here for this podcast. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein, before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, and Shema, and Ananiah, and Uriah, and Hilkiah, and Maasiah, and on his right hand, and on his left hand, Padiah, and Mishael, and Malachi, and, and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Mishulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, 
with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Jeshua and Benai and Sheribah and Jamin and Achab and Shebathiah and Hodajiah and Maaseiah and Kalitha and Azariah and Josabad and Hanan, Peliah and the Levites caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So we have we have a picture here of a group of people, many people, standing in a, in a crowd, facing a pulpit that was raised upon a dais, it was made of wood, and a group of people in authority reading the Pentateuch, reading the law of Moses, as God intended. And they were respectful. It was something that was important. In their minds, they were receiving instruction from God. Interestingly enough, let's see, where's it at? The Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Now, verse 8 starts with the word so. That's kind of like saying, in this manner. So the picture is, the people asked for this in the beginning of the chapter, and so the leadership acquiesced. So let's go. Let's go to the place of authority. And then they treated the scriptures with respect. They stood up whenever the reading began. They worshiped. They bowed their heads before the Lord. They raised holy hands unto the Lord. They bowed their heads. The Levites caused the people to understand. This is very important. It is my conviction that this is a precursor or at least a model for gospel preaching, for the preaching of a gospel sermon in the Lord's church today. Paul writes to Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will, after their own lust, heap into themselves teachers having itching ears. It is very important to go to the source of authority because if we don't, if we're not willing to go to the source of authority, then we're going to heap into ourselves teachers having itching ears. We're going to find people that agree with us. We're going to fall prey to confirmation bias, and we're not going to scrutinize the things that we're being taught and the things that are being said from the pulpit, and we're not going to grow is, is the idea. But something very interesting here that the Levites did recorded in verse 7. They caused the people to understand the law. Now, when you look and, and you hear and you see this picture painted, you go to verse 8. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly. So they, they gave heed. They read with, let's see, how would I put this? They, they read with a level of dedication. They let, read with a level of fidelity. The law of God. And they gave the sense. They defined words. They interpreted from the language in which it was written to the language in which a people could understand. 
remember, Nehemiah goes on to tell us in a later chapter that the people spoke half in the language of Ashdod and half in the language of the Jews. And especially by the time of Jesus, the language of the Hebrew people had, had all but died out. I understand there's people that speak Hebrew and all that good stuff, but by and large, the, the Jewish population were Hellenistic Jews, and, and they, they spoke a universal language, Greek. That is why God, in his providence, uh, through bringing about the fullness of time, uh, provided the scriptures written in the Greek language that was translated under the reign of Alexander the Great in Alexandria, Egypt, by those 70 scribes or 70 translators. Anyway, they had to give the sense of the reading. Whenever we study the Bible, we need a sense of the reading. We need to read distinctly as if it matters. We need to give it distinction as if this is different from other texts, other books that we read. And we need to have the sense of it. We need to understand the words. We need to understand the grammar, the syntax, all of that. But none of that will help you if you don't understand the reading. Now, you may think, well, Tony, if I have the sense of it, if I, if I do word studies, if I look at the context, if I look at the history, then I'm going to understand the reading. The implication of understand the reading here, I believe, is being able to apply it, as we often say in the Lord's Church, to our everyday walks of life. I remember uh, oftentimes, especially in expository preaching class, whenever we were assigned to the Memphis School of Preaching a text and you had to write an expository sermon and you had to preach that sermon and be critiqued by the teacher that, that was teaching expository preaching. In fact, uh, it was Ted Clark that was the teacher there. And he was a hard and austere man, and I love him immensely. But he was a hard teacher. He had, he had high standards. And he would often say, well, what's your application? So what? What is the so what of your sermon? Brother Keith Moser. many times whenever uh, students would get up and they would have a chapel speech, whenever, whenever Brother Moser's turn to critique, oftentimes I heard him say, well, you know, you preached a good sermon. You didn't mispronounce too many words. You didn't have too many grammatical errors. But um, so what? Like, what, what, what good does this sermon do me? You didn't give us the application. If we don't cause the people to understand, you can, you can exposit. Take, for instance, the book of Hebrews, which is my favorite book to teach through. I can teach through the book of Hebrews, and I can put it in its context, and I can drive it home, and I can, I can cause people to uh, have the sense of the book of Hebrews and what it meant to the people of the day in the historical setting. But if I never bring it forward to a 21st century application, I've... I don't want to go so far as to say I've wasted people's time, but I've kind of wasted people's time. So something we need to think about. Now, let me give you an example of this. Take marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What, is, what does God say about marriage, divorce, and remarriage? Well, we can have a hundred hours of academic scholarly discussion about what God teaches, what the Bible teaches about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But if we never stop and think and, and pull from that uh, the principles to apply it to specific scenarios, then 
all we do is we just know a string of facts. For instance, um, going back to my time at the Memphis School of Preaching, we were on campaign. Incidentally, for all of those you were, who are watching, there are seven people watching this morning, which is, just blows my mind. I have literally not done anything to grow this this uh, page and going live with no preamble, with no promotion. I've got seven people on the live stream. Thank you so much for that. Connie Barden says, good morning. Thank you so much for that, Connie. And for those of you that are listening, please share this live stream. Help me grow the cogitations page, if you would. And um, obviously, I wouldn't be able to do what I do online um, if not for digital Bible study. Although cogitations is my own, um, I am partnered heavily with Jonathan Jenkins and Eric Owens with digitalbiblestudy.org. And Tuesday nights, I have a a show at, at nine o'clock my time, eight Eastern, uh, seven central PM. And, uh, anyway, long story short, uh, share this and, and a rising tide raises all ships. So share this, help me grow this. And it's going to make digital Bible study better. It'll make cogitations better. And I'll be able to put out more content because we can two things. One, we can get in front of more people and two, we can have more supporters. And the more supporters that I have, the the more I can focus on the content and the, the less I have to worry about things like finances. All right. The practical application of God's marriage, divorce, and remarriage. When I was in the Memphis School of Preaching, we thank you so much, Greg James. When I was in the Memphis School of Preaching, we would go on door knocking campaigns. We would take a week, we would go to a congregation. And I happened to be in Middle Tennessee at East Hill Church of Christ for our campaign that week. And I door knocked on this door. And this young woman's come out. Now, I'm a big guy. So when I door knock on a door, I, I take at least three feet back. I, I, take, I take one good step back. But the porch was kind of small, so I actually stepped down the stairs. So I was looking up at her, and we were talking. And I explained to her, we're having a gospel meeting. I'm with the East Hill Church of Christ this week. And we would love to have her and her good family to come and join us. And she said, you know what? I'm glad you stopped by. My husband and I have been thinking about religious things, spiritual things, and we would really like to be involved in a church. But all of the, all of the churches that I've been to, it just seems like a bunch of, like a social club, like a bunch of man-made stuff. I mean, she was saying all of the right things, folks, all of the things that you want to hear. And I was like, that's great. What you're going to find at East Hill is a group of people who try to speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible's silent, do Bible things in Bible ways, and call Bible things by Bible names. We try to eschew all of the doctrines and traditions of man and we're just Bible-believing people who are Christians only following the Bible only. And more, she really liked that. She said, well, what about classes and stuff and programs for my children? We've got that at East Hill. It's amazing. You would love it. And she said, that's really great. You know, um, you know, my husband has children from his previous marriage, and I have children from my previous marriage, and my heart kind of sank. Because you know what, statistically speaking, this woman probably wasn't in a marriage that was right, was accepted in the eyes of God. So I kind of slyly, you know, said, Hey, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm really so glad. Like y'all seem like y'all have kind of a Brady bunch situation. 
And she said, yes, you know, it's not perfect. And, um, it's really sad because, um, my previous husband was, you know, we, we split up because, you know, he was just, he was a bad guy. He was addicted to pornography. Now I didn't push it because it wasn't the right time, but let's talk about that for a moment with the idea of application of God's word. Matthew 19, nine is very interesting in that it says, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication and marries another commits adultery. And whosoever marries her that hath been put away doth also commit adultery. And I hear so many of my brethren say, well, the only reason for marriage and or the only reason for divorce that allows you to be remarried is adultery. Not taking into account that that is actually not what the scripture teaches. It's, adult, it's, it's fornication, which is very specific. Now, What's going to go on there? If I don't show this person when I'm studying with them and understand how to apply this, and I don't have a sense of the reading, and I don't look to God for the authority, first off, if I don't look to God for the authority, I'm I'm not even going to broach the subject because it's a hard subject. But if I all if all I do is um, give a sense of the reading and put it in its context. You know, you have Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shimei, and, I, and I, you know, during the time they were trying to catch Jesus in a fault and hang him on the horns of a dilemma, I'm, I'm probably not going to cover this, this topic the way it should be covered. In other words, I'm not going to be able to show this woman how it applies to her life. And what I, could, what I would do is and and I'm not I'm not being down on modern translations. I'm just pointing out a fact. We this this shouldn't be the case, but it is the case. We don't deal with should and should nots. We deal with is and is nots. And it is the case that in statistically the the Bible that this woman's going to have is probably a modern translation, and the word fornication is going to be either immorality or sexual immorality which being addicted to pornography is immorality and it is sexual immorality. So if, if I just show her as I'm studying with her, Matthew chapter 19, verse nine, and she, I say, well, you, would you read that and tell me whether or not the situation surrounding your divorce is this? Well, she's going to read whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for sexual immorality and marriage. Another commits adultery and whosoever marries her that hath been put away doth also commit adultery, then she's going to say, yeah, I put my husband away for sexual immorality. And she's not going to know how to apply that to her life. So I have to, when it comes to application, I have to instill in her a desire to actually hear from God as the authority. That's, that's in the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 8. And then I have to give a sense of the reading. I have to explain to her that although the text reads immorality or sexual immorality, the word is pornea, and it actually means fornication. It's without getting too deep into it, it's the sexual act. What's up, Brandon Dreschner? Good to see you this morning. And it's only then can we can we show her how to apply this to her life. It's only then that she's going to come to the realization, if I'm really wanting to follow God, I don't have a right 
to be married to the man I'm currently married to. Now, that's a hard pill to swallow. It's difficult. You're going to run people off if you do this. But remember, it is better to, quote-unquote, run people off because you are teaching them the unadulterated truth of God's Word than to give them a false sense of security and a false sense of hope. Application of the Scripture is of paramount importance. Without a proper application of the Scripture, you can go to God for authority, you can have a sense of the, of the reading, but without a proper application, it's not going to do you any good. All three of these things really work together because it, it's, it's, like, it's cyclical, it's, it's, a, it's systemic. If you don't go to God for the authority, you're definitely not going to get a sense of the reading or get a, get a, a sense of the reading, and you're definitely not going to understand what you're reading. You're not going to understand how to apply it to your life. Because your your default, your baseline is not going to be none of self and all of thee. And it is so important that we uh, speak a, as the oracles of God. We only speak what God wants us to speak. You see, Paul told Timothy, as I said earlier, preach the word. We're to be instant in season and out of season. We're to do it when it's convenient and when it's not. We're to do it when it's going to do good and when it's going to do from our perspective bad. Now, why do I say our perspective bad? Um, let's read Deuteronomy 28, 63. Deuteronomy 28, 63. I ought to be able to quote this as much as I reference it, but I don't quote it well. I need to, I need to just work on it, treat it like a memory verse for an assignment so I can quote it offhand. Anyway, 2863. Give me just a second. I'll find it. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to nothing. And you shall be plucked from off the land whether thou goest to possess it. If we speak as the oracles of God, if we preach the word instant in season and out of season, we're going to run some people off, and we're going to bind some people to Christ. God is equally satisfied with both outcomes if the word is preached in fidelity. If we do what Ezra did, recorded in the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, if we read from the book of the law distinctly, if we give the sense and we cause the person to understand, if we give them the application to their lives, whatever outcome that happens, whether that person says, I'm just not going to do that, or that person says, I am going to do that and submit to God's will, God's justice is satisfied. Now, it is true. Uh, Ezra chapter 33 as I live, saith the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from their wicked ways and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways and live, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure when the wicked does not turn, but his, his justice is satisfied, and he, ta he does take pleasure in justice. So we need to understand that's an attribute of God. 
And if we don't, and I'm, I know I'm repeating myself, but I think it's worth repeating. If we don't read from the book of the law distinctly when we're studying with somebody, if we don't give them the sense of the text and we don't cause them to understand how it applies to their lives, then we are, in a sense, thwarting the justice of God. That is how important application is. Every individual who comes to a study of God's Word must have that confrontation between himself and God. When it comes to gospel preaching, what happens on Sunday morning, when it comes to a Bible study sitting across the kitchen counter or the restaurant table or the coffee shop table from the Bible teacher and the prospect, if that confrontation does not happen, then the Bible was not taught the way it's supposed to be taught. Then a sermon was not preached the way it's supposed to be preached. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You cannot do that. You cannot prove whether or not somebody's right or wrong in the eyes of God. You cannot rebuke them to get right or rebuke them to stay right. I know rebuke is a weird word to say rebuke to stay right, but that's that's the word, that's that's the sense of the word. And you cannot encourage them whenever they are right to remain or whenever they're not right to to change. If we don't read distinctly, give the sense and cause the people to understand in my opinion, that's caused the people to understand the application. The application is important. If we don't do that, then we will be a group of people who heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears. That's the podcast for you today this, mo- today, this morning. That was a weird turn of phrase. That's the podcast for you today. It's actually afternoon where I am. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Cogitations. I appreciate the folks that listen live. This is going to be archived on my podcast channel. Go to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio, and be sure and subscribe. As I said earlier, there's seven of you watching. Uh, please be sure to um, to share this. Um, oh, here's a good comment. I'm going to read this before I before I uh, before I get off here. Uh, hello, brother Tony. Thanks for continuing to teach God's word. I've asked you before to talk about forgiveness because many people, even brethren are teaching that we should forgive those who sin against us. Even if the person won't repent and ask for forgiveness. Oops. Hold on. It it jumped. I have always believed that we should have a forgiving heart wanting to forgive. People are now stepping ahead of God by forgiving unrepented behavior. I'm asking you to bring this up on your Tuesday night DBS class, please. And thank you. I tell you what, Terry. Um, yeah, I will absolutely talk about that. That would be a good show. And, uh, so tomorrow night at 9 PM Atlantic seven central, uh, on cogitations after the digital Bible study connect, I will talk about forgiveness. So absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Again, look at the show notes on how to support me on digitalbiblestudy.org or uh, Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. 
And uh, that's all I've got here. God bless you, and we'll catch you on the flip side.